Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Jordan Reed as we break down the defensive side of the ball in the draft. It's part one of a two-part podcast with the offensive options to run on Friday. We get into all the positions, what players he thinks would make sense at 11. Is safety Kyle Hamilton really falling? Why? We talk about linebackers and some picks to watch later in the draft. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed, R-E-I-D, and you can read his work on ESPN.com, just like me. Jordan does a great job, so I'm always thrilled when he can join me. Before I get started, a couple things. On my podcast last week with Ron Rivera, he said the timeline for a Terry McLaurin deal would be likely you get it going in the late spring. Doesn't mean it ends there. It's when it usually gets going. I've long said this for a reason. It's when the extensions typically get done. Last year, for example, John Allen signed his extension on July 27th. They want McLaurin to stay here. I can't say it loud enough, period. He's not going to get Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams money. Of course, every, anytime you can see those deals, it raises everybody up. He'll probably be in the low 20s or around, around 20, somewhere in that range. So take a deep breath. Let the process unfold. The key is that they absolutely understand who he is and what he means here. And if they draft a receiver at 11, it is not because they're worried about signing him. It's because they need to add more weapons for Carson Wentz. Outside of Curtis Samuel, what other receivers are proven producer for a full season? And Samuel is coming off an injury. So while they have some names, Deami Brown was a third-round pick. I think he'll be better, but how much better? Is he really a true number two, or is he a guy that's going to help you in, in certain situations? I know they like Chris Olave from Ohio State. That should be obvious by now. Would they take him at 11? I don't know. It always depends on who else is available. You can like a lot of guys. It doesn't mean you're going to draft him at number 11. I would be surprised if they took a linebacker there. When the season ended, finding a middle linebacker was a priority. Devin Lloyd was a guy that you heard a little bit about early in this, pre- in this, in this process. But over time, I've definitely sensed a shift in the thinking for a couple of reasons. One, they realize how important that Buffalo nickel is to them. And now that they don't have Landon Collins, it's become a bigger priority. I think, and not just in my eyes, but I think in theirs as well, than more of a priority than a middle linebacker. Here's why. They use the Buffalo, they use the Buffalo nickel more than 50% of the time. They like to use a 51 front as well. That means a middle linebacker would not be anything other than a part-time player for them. Get this stat. According to Next Gen Stats, last year they only used a three linebacker set for 65 plays. Think about that. That's why you're probably you're not you shouldn't see a linebacker at number eleven. I do think there are linebackers they like, and maybe you get one after the first round. I, you know, I like I'm a big fan of Troy Anderson, Chad Muma, guys like that. I get into all that with Jordan, so I think there's some possibilities there. But I think what they really need there is to add more parts. You need more depth at that position, even if you don't go out and get a true middle linebacker. I still think you need to get one. But even if you don't get that guy in there, there are still ways to get it, but you need to you need to build more depth at linebacker. And I would add one. I think they I think they will add one. 
I just would be really surprised if they do it at 11. Listen, if safety Kyle Hamilton is sitting there at 11, he'd be a terrific Buffalo nickel. Jordan and I talked about some others as well for that spot. And I told you this before, but if Washington does, if Washington does not draft a safety and Landon Collins remains available after the draft, then they would definitely be interested in resigning him. The big key is if Collins would want to return after rejecting a second pay cut. But here, the door would be open for him. I'm fascinated to see who falls out of the top 10 in this draft because somebody always does. If one or two of the quarterbacks go in the top 10, they definitely should not because I don't think any of them weren't going that high. None of them, I think, would be ready to start this year based on what you hear from a lot of people. But we also know what happens with the quarterback position. that gets overvalued, overdrafted. So if they do go there, it helps Washington because another player would fall out of the draft and fall out of the draft, fall out of the top 10. You'll have two to three pass rushing ends go in the top 10, two to three offensive tackles, probably based on what I've heard, two receivers, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, the corner, possible top 10. That means somebody's going to fall. Derek Stingley, I don't know that he'll go to the top 10. I think he's going to be a hit or miss guy for a lot of teams. Some teams are going to love him because the tape two years ago, other teams are going to have a lot of pause about his tape from the last couple of years. So I think there are questions about him with that. So I don't know that I don't know if he'd be an option here, but somebody's going to fall to that spot that I think is pretty good and somebody that they could get some really good value out of. Finally, there's not a lot, whole lot more to add on the whole congressional issue and the new allegations regarding ticket revenue. We know the name of the person who talked to Congress. It was Jason Friedman. We know he worked with the team for more than 24 years. I also know he's one of the first people Jason Wright felt like he had to get rid of and did so within two months of arriving. I know that the team gets audited every few years, just like every other NFL team. I wrote this on ESPN.com, but they were audited three times the last 10 years, 2012, 16, and 19. Every time they're audited, they first have an audit by an accounting firm, an outside accounting firm, BDO. They've had been partners with them for a while, but that's who audits them initially. Then they get audited by the, by the NFL. Is it impossible to do things? No, but I think that's why, it's why that pe- multiple people have told me they feel like it would be very, very difficult. After these audits, there's usually what's called a TRUA. It's where, what a, it's where what a team owes gets corrected. Usually it's a few hundred thousand dollars that they have to come back and pay it. Not, not just Washington, but, but any team. And again, that's true of just about every team. The last time Washington was audited, it cost them an extra $86,000. I don't know where this is headed. I only know what I, that I've been told the evidence does not yet support the allegations. Doesn't mean it won't get there. Doesn't mean it will. I'll keep reporting to see where it goes. And I urge you, urge you to not assume anything here with whatever. Again, I believe what my reporting tells me. And right now, there's more to learn. Anyway, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with the great Jordan Reed. At some point, I'll have to stop saying, no, not that Jordan Reed, but everyone is getting to know this Jordan Reed because he's excellent at what he does with the NFL draft. And we're talking about the defensive options for Washington in the draft. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. 
Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Jordan Reed. And Jordan, I always appreciate your time because, again, I know how busy you are and you've become so popular, well-deserved. So I appreciate you coming back on here. And in general, I want to start with, we're going to start talking off about the defense. But in general, when you look at that top 10, is it hard to figure out who's going to fall out of there? Because it seems like there's about 13 guys who could be top 10 picks. Some of them are not going to be. So how do you look at the top 10 and who might fall out of there? Well, first and foremost, it's always a pleasure being on with you, John. I always enjoy our talks, whether it's about the NFL draft or just life in general. Uh, I consider you one of my best partners in the industry. So it's always a pleasure being back on. But yeah, this draft is really, really interesting, especially in the top 10, just because whenever you don't have a quarterback at the top, I think it just sends everything in flux. And we haven't had that over the past three years Three years ago, we had Kyler Murray at the top. Two years ago, it was Joe Burrow. And then last year, we had quarterbacks galore in the top 15 as a whole. So I think that's what makes this draft class so interesting, just because you have a bunch of defensive players at the top. I think you're going to see edge rushers fly off of the board very early on. Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau is going to factor in somewhere in the top 10, even though everybody seems to be all over the place on him right now. But I still think he's going to end up going inside the top 10. You also have Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida State, who was a name that caught fire during the backstretch of the year and through the pre-draft process. So I think with these edge rushers, you're going to see him definitely fly off of the board. And then also you have to factor in cornerbacks. Sauce Gardner is the one that I think goes in the top 10 right now. We'll see how Derek Stingley does at his pro day on April 6th on this Wednesday. So I think he's going to perform really well and he's going to enter his name back inside of the top eight or top 10 range too. So you're going to see a lot of defensive players fly off of the board in the top 10. So because of that, like, and you're going to have, couple of receivers go in the top 10, possibly, you know, and you're going to have some offensive tackles go in the top 10. So Washington sitting there at 11, if they wanted to go defense, because there are some attractive defensive options there for them. Who do you think would be the most likely guy? Because one guy, you know, Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, is he a guy that you think could fall out of the top 10 just because, not because of his talent, but because of other positions that are going in there? Yeah, and this seems like this happens every year. There's always that one guy that falls out of the top 12 to 15 picks just because there's just so many guys at the top and there's a lot of talent that gets pushed down the board. But I think Washington is in a great spot just because they have a need in the secondary, whether it's at corner or even at safety. So if there's a Kyle Hamilton sitting there, Derek Stingley, or even a Sauce Gardner sitting there, I think it's a no-brainer that you choose any one of those guys. Now, if you have all three of them on the board, that makes things very difficult, but it's a great situation to be in for Washington. Let's take a look, take a look at those three because with Hamilton, what, first of all, 
They want that Buffalo nickel, the big safety hybrid with what Landon Collins did last year. They desperately want to fill that role. I think that's probably a more important position for them right now than middle linebacker. So what could, how would Hamilton fare in that hybrid safety linebacker role? And, and what do you think about his game? Well, the great thing for him is that he can wear so many hats in the secondary. He can play in the high post. He can play low safety. Then also he can be somewhat consistent in man coverage, even though there is some questions about him in that area. But I just don't think you want him living and dying in the man coverage world. He's more of a big zone type of safety. And also you can blitz him, whether it's through the middle or off of the edge. So there's so many different areas or so many different ways that he can affect the game. So as far as that Buffalo, that big nickel, I think it would be perfect for it just because of what they asked that specific person to do. And he's much bigger than Landon Collins too. Not quite as physical as far as a tackler, but as far as the length and the consistency and just the wide variety of roles that he can satisfy, I think he would be a, definitely upgraded at that spot. He also, I know there were questions about his speed, but he also seems to be somebody who plays faster than his speed, than his time speed. And when you watch him, like as someone else pointed out to me, like he's always kind of moving, which gives him that momentum to go. Do you see that? And do you think that, play, you know, what do you think about the speed versus the play speed for him? Yeah, he's one of those guys that I thought he would test a little bit better. I didn't think he would run in the four sixes or the four sevens. I wouldn't say that, but he relies on instincts a lot. That's why he looks so fast on game tape and he plays plenty fast on game tape too. So as far as the time speed, it was a little bit worrisome as far as the four sixes and the four sevens. But when you just rely on the game tape and you look at how fast he's playing and then just the instincts that he plays with, he's able to overcome that within games. Derek Stingley, a lot of questions about him. I think he is, some teams are going to love him because the tape from a couple of years ago and other teams are going to say, hold on a minute. What about these last two years? Where are you on with this? And for, let me say this, his tape from two years ago was phenomenal. Yeah. He's special. If you're just going strictly off of the 2019 tape, six interceptions during his true freshman season, came in and was the leader on that offense, or excuse me, that defense that was loaded with offensive talent like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson was on that team as well. So if you just think about it, him coming through the door as a freshman, being on that 15-0 LSU team, he pretty much was at the top of the mountain. But over his past two seasons, the big thing with Derek Stingley has just been the availability with him. He's missed 13 games over the past two years, which is a lot when you're take when you're taking into account, especially taking a cornerback in the top 10. But if you rely on what he showed in 2019 and that's what you believe you're getting from Derek Stingley, I think he can quickly be a top five cornerback in the NFL. He reminds me a lot of Marshawn Lattimore when he was coming out of Ohio State, just to paint a picture of what he could be on the next level. So it's not more so nobody has questions about Derek Stingley's ability. It's just the availability with him. When you watch him, I think the thing that jumped out to me, and I'm curious your assessment of him, the footwork for a guy his size and the patience with, I guess, when he's in man, to not open his hips right away. Like, how how unique are his is his skill set for a guy with his size and length and all that? Yeah, his technique is probably the best that I have seen since I've been doing this, honestly. And he's just so patient in everything that he does. He's never rushed. He never lets the receivers force him into going which way or whatever they want different ways for him to go. 
he's just able to dictate whatever he wants to do in coverage. And then you couple that with the ball skills that he has too. He has the ball skills of a wide receiver. He goes up on high points and contests every pass that is in his range. He can never catch balls out of the strike zone too. So he's just so competitive at the catch point. I'm a big fan of him. He's my top ranked corner going into the draft right now. And I'm really excited to see him uh, on pro day. I think he's going to open a lot of eyes. When you look at him, because he also seems to match the routes of receiver well. When you see that, what does that tell you? Yeah, I mean, it's just instincts with him. He understands what wide receivers are trying to do. And when he locks in and man coverage, he's just able to dictate and just decipher everything that they're trying to do. And like I said, he doesn't what I like to call take the cheese a lot with wide receivers that are like a bit exaggerated with their movements. He's just fixated on a certain part of their body and he looks at that part of their body and he just isn't rushed at all in this technique. And that's something that I wrote down in my notes of where nothing just ever phases him. He stays so poised in his, in his, in his um, backdrop in his, his backpedal, I should say he's, he remains fate. He remains in phase a lot of times. And he's just, his game is just so poised. He's just so cool, calm and collected in everything that he does. What about sauce Gardner? Uh, this is the guy he's had a tremendous career and I think some people, when you talk to them, might say they would like to have seen him against a more consistent higher level of competition. What do you think? Well, I mean, he's played plenty of guys throughout his year, right? throughout his career. He played Ohio State when he was a freshman, and then he went against Jamison Williams last year. And then also, I wish he would have played in Georgia his sophomore his sophomore year. He didn't play in that game, so it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see him in that matchup. But he's played against plenty of Power 5 big-time competition going back to the bowl game last year against Alabama, even though him and Jamison Williams didn't match up a whole bunch, you still had plenty of other talented players opposite of Jamison Williams in that game too. So I think he's played plenty of competition, but also he can't control who he goes against. All he can do is just shut them down, whoever teams put on his side of the football. And a lot of teams were shy as far as testing him just because they had so much respect for him. So not only does he have respect of his peers, his teammates and his coaches, but also every team around the country knew who Sauce Gardner, who number 12 was or number one was his final year when they were, when they found him on the scout report. And, and I think to me, when I hear that, it's also nitpicking when someone, cause you're trying to separate, do you like this guy over this guy? And you still might think, well, yes, he'd be really good for team X, but we like this guy, but a little bit better because maybe there's a little bit more information on him. So I like I take it as a nitpicking kind of situation. What do you like about his skills? Because he is he's a ter- terrific, terrific corner. Well, he just loves the attitude that you have awesome. at, at cornerback just because I think he tweeted out yesterday. I'm the best player in yes, the draft. I, love I just love, I love stuff that. like that. It's kind of. And I actually include this with when I'm talking in my notes with cornerbacks, just because I think half the battle of being good at that position on the next level is confidence, just because you have to be confident at that position. And when you think about the elite players at that position, whether it's Jalen Ramsey or Tredavious White or some of these other players around the league, they have that swagger and that confidence that you love to see at the position. They're not afraid of what I like to call the bark back at wide receivers. And whenever they make a play, they let the whole stadium know about it. I just love players at that position that are like that, just because you see that swagger and that confidence that they play with. But outside of the swagger, he has the length that you covered at the position, six foot two and a half, right at 200 pounds. He's very physical as far as coming up to tackle. When he gets his hands on wide receivers, he's just a nuisance as far as impeding their routes. And then it's just so hard to get around him just because he's so long and they're not giving up a touchdown in three seasons. That's just an incredible resume that you very rarely ever see from a player at the position. And that length is such a tremendous value too. When you, it's because you play quarterback. So when you know you're throwing against a taller corner, talented and tall, 
how does that play with your head? Because like, I'd imagine like you, like you can see a guy who might look open, but because of the length, maybe he's not quite as open. It's just, they can have an effect on throwing windows so easily. And even if he doesn't have his head around, he still can stick his arms up and then just what I like, what I like to call be competitive at the catch point and fight through the hands of wide receivers. That's something that you see very periodically with him. So it is very difficult for wide, for, excuse me, for quarterbacks to throw around that length, especially when you're talking about those longer type corners that can just have a negative effect on those throwing windows. Going back to safety, because there are a couple other guys at that position. Um, one is the, the Penn State safety, I think is Jaquan Brisker. Yeah. What do you think? Now, I don't, he's not going at 11, but he's a guy that could also fill that Buffalo, Buffalo nickel role here. What do you think of him? And where do you, where would you kind of project him? I like him a lot. And with Brisker, I think he has such an incredible story. Everywhere he's been, he's been a winner. He actually went to Lackawanna Junior College before he got to Penn State, won a college national championship there. He was a team captain on that team. He was a two-time team captain at Penn State as well. So those are some of the traits that you covet, especially when you're talking about a leader on the back end of your defense like Jaquan Brisker. And he's a player that's gotten better every single year. He has the ball production that you're looking for. He's played high safety. He's played low safety too. And something that I think a lot of people aren't really taking into account with him is that he had a shoulder injury last year. So some of those missed tackles or opportunities of where he had to come up and tackle, I think that kind of affected him a little bit. So you have to go back and look at the sophomore tape to just see how physical physical he is as far as a tackler I think he showed much more consistency in that area but he, he has the length that you're looking for at about six foot one um, right at 215 to 220 pounds so he has that size that you're looking for too so I'm a big fan of Brisker I think he probably goes late first or early second because I think he's a guy that would intrigue them if he's there but you can't take it you're not going to take him at 11 so I don't know if they, they don't pick again till 47 um pick number 47 in the, in the second round. So I think he may be gone by there, but if he somehow falls, I think that's a guy that would tempt them if they haven't filled that Buffalo nickel roll. Do you see more teams in, in college using those three safety looks that can fill those hybrid safety linebacker roles when they get to the NFL? You're starting to see it a little bit more. And I think Gary Patterson from TCU, when he was yeah. the head coach at TCU, he was the one that really started three safety looks just because you have so many athletes on the back end. And then with these college offenses, everybody wants to go vertical and then just throw and score as many points as humanly possible. So he wanted to figure out a way to incorporate some of these three high defenses just to keep everything in front of him and slow everything down. But the benefit of that is that you get more athletes on the field too. You get some of those lighter personnel, those dime and those nickel looks of where you have an extra safety or an extra corner, even two extra corners at a time on the field. So I think with those three safety looks, you're starting to see that become more popular, but the great thing for that or of that is that you're starting to see better looks from these safeties too. And then again, go, now going back to corner, then I want to get to linebacker and we'll wrap up the defensive portion, but at corner, what's the gap between Stingley Gardner and then the McDuffie and the next level of corners? I don't think it's a huge gap, honestly. And both of those guys are very talented in their own right. But I think overall, this is a really talented cornerback class through about the third round. I think there's a bit of a precipitous drop off after the third round. You're starting to get into more of your nickel types or the ones that just didn't develop the way that you had envisioned for them. But through the first three rounds or through day two, I think this corner class is really, really strong for the most part. But some other guys that could go in the first round, you already talked about McDuffie, Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson, who's battled some injuries. Uh, through the pre-draft process, I, I think he could go late first, early second. 
Um, Kyrie Elam from Florida, I think he's one that's not getting a lot of attention right now that deservedly so needs some more attention. I think he's a first round worthy corner. We saw Tariq Woolen from UTSA. We saw his size and then just the way um, he was able to perform at the combine. Kyler Gordon from Washington is another name. And um, plenty of others too. Roger McCreary from Auburn, who's more of the nickel type. He's probably going to have to slide inside on the next level. So if the commanders want to take a receiver in the first round and then come back and take McCreary to satisfy that nickel role. Uh, that could be an option for them too. So there's so many different ways that they could go in this, in this draft. Who is another safety after the first round that you like who could fill that again? And they also have cam curl. And if they don't get the Buffalo nickel, they can always go back and see if Landon Collins would want to come back. But who's another guy maybe after the first round? I know that Georgia has another safety too, that who's another guy that might be um, tempting who could fill that role for them? Yeah, the great thing about the safety class is that it's loaded through the first two days as well, similar to corner. There's a little bit of a drop off after the first two days of the draft cl- of this draft class. But, uh, excuse me, Jalen Petrie from Baylor is one player that I am fascinated by. He's one of my favorite players overall in this draft class, a little bit smaller than some of the other safeties in this draft class, but he kind of reminds you of Tyron Matthew a little bit. Okay. 18 and a half tackles for loss last year at Baylor, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He's just all over the place. Whenever you turn on the film with him, he could play high post as well, even though he didn't do it at all at Baylor. I think he has the traits in order to do so, but you want him sniffing around the line of scrimmage. That's where he really makes a lot of his money, but also you mentioned Lewis Seen from Georgia. He's another one that's probably going to have to be a high post safety. You don't really want him a whole bunch in man-to-man coverage, but if he can play that free safety role, I think he definitely can satisfy that. And there's plenty of others. Dax Hill from Michigan is one that probably will end up going in the first round. Kirby Joseph from Illinois is probably more so of your third or fourth round. And also Brian Cook from Cincinnati is another that I like too. All right, so linebackers, last one then. I don't think they take a linebacker at 11 because of how little they use three linebacker sets. But is there a linebacker at 11 that's like Devin Lloyd would be the one guy there? What is your take on him? Yeah, I I like Lloyd a lot. His background is squeaky clean. He has the leadership qualities that you're looking for. A former safety before he converted to linebacker. So he has the athleticism that you look for. He makes plays behind the line of scrimmage and then also the second level too. He's just so loose as far as a mover, six foot three, 240 pounds. I just love the way he moves around. Everything is just so natural for him. He can be in the corner as far as if you want to blitz him off of the edge too. So he just makes so many plays in every which way possible. Is there, again, I didn't N'Kobe Dean would be another possible first round linebacker. He's not an option at 11. I don't know that he would, you know, unless they traded back, but how does he stack up to, to Lloyd? The size is something that is a big right. difference between the two. N'Kobe Dean at about five foot 11, 230 right. pounds is much different from Devin Lloyd at six foot three, 240. So the frame is much different, but as far as just the physicality that he plays with, I think that's the big difference between the two as well. N'Kobe Dean is just so physical, whether he's stepping downhill and firing through the, the alley. Um, inside to stop the run, but also against the pass. I think he's very consistent in that area too. I think that's something that's kind of been knocked against him a little bit, but I just don't really see that on tape as far as how consistent he is. Uh, you don't want to live. You don't want him living a whole bunch in man coverage, even though I think he can hold up against running backs. But I think it may be a struggle a little bit if you ask him to go against those slot receivers. I don't think you want him living and dying doing that. So the big thing, and I think the big difference between the two, 
is that you probably want N'Kobe Dean and more so of a 3-4 scheme of where you have those big okay. bodies in front of him that can right. take up space like he had at Georgia when he had Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt and Jalen Carter and all those big bodies in front of him just eating up those blockers so you can keep him clean and allow him to roam free, whereas Devin Lloyd, I think, is a little bit more physical as far as being able to stack and shade at the point of attack. After the first round, Troy Anderson, Chad Muma, like, are, those, are those the two names that stand out at that position after the first round? Yeah, and I'll even add another Quay Walker, who hey, was Quay beside, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. beside Nicobe Dean. I, I think those three are probably your second round guys right now, and there's plenty of others that I like after that too, where there's Channing Tindall, uh, who's probably more so of your third-round guy. Um, there's plenty of others in this class, class too. Leo Chanel from Wisconsin is more of your big body downhill run stuffer type of linebacker. Brian Asamoah from Oklahoma is more of an athletic type too. And then if you're looking for a late round guy, maybe to just take a shot on, even though he's going to have to redshirt his first year. And I thought he probably was going to end up going in the second round, Damone Clark from LSU, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who who had the, the spinal surgery, unfortunately for him. So he's going to have to redshirt, but if you get the player that he was pre-injury, I think you can get a starting Mike linebacker. With Quay Walker, is he – do you think he's just more of an outside guy or can he play inside? I think he can do either one. He okay. can play Mike, he can play he Sam, or he can play Will. Yeah, he just like – he's him. just so athletic. I like him a lot too. He's just so athletic. And he is raw. I will say that. He was only a one-year starter when he was at Georgia just because he has some really good players in front of him. But if you just – if you're patient with him, I think you could turn out to get something from him. But I think that may make Washington a little hesitant, especially with what happened last year with Jamin Davis. So yeah, I, I don't know if they would be interested in Walker. I, yeah, and that's I would agree with that. And that's why I look at Anderson and moving. Anderson's intriguing because he's played, you know, now you can look at it two ways. He's played a couple of different spots, which means like they had a hard time figuring out. On the other hand, you have to be really smart to play all those positions and then play what go to linebacker and play it like he did. Yeah, he's he's probably had the most interesting background story of any prospect in this draft class. He's played quarterback, he's played running back, and then he transitioned over and played linebacker. So Troy Anderson has just done everything in his career. You very rarely see players having that type of high 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 level success, especially on both sides of the football. Okay, and then last last thing, then I'm going to wrap it up and get to the offense. Is there a defensive player that you know, whether it's maybe on the line or somewhere else, that you say like? This is a guy I really, really like, and it could be a late-round guy that's like nobody's talking about him a lot yet, but this is a guy that I can't wait to see what he does. Um, I'll let you pick a position. What position do Defensive you think? line. That's a good one. Um, Just trying to think of somebody right now. Because this I'll team will with, need depth. This team needs depth. Yeah. A, a tackle, yeah. and then and they want to get another young end. Yeah, so one I will name. His name is Matthew Butler from Tennessee. I got an opportunity to see him at East West Shrine game, and he was one that really stood out. I thought he was one of the better players there. So he's probably more so of a fourth or fifth round guy, but Matthew Butler from Tennessee is one name that I think could come in and start at three technique or somewhere inside um, from day one, honestly. Jordan, appreciate you talking about the defense. We wrap it up there. We're going to come back with a look at the offense for the next episode. So thanks a lot, Jordan. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. Part two about the offensive options in the draft will air Friday. So thanks to Jordan for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back Friday. Talk to you next time.